Well, I am uh, thankful, uh, thankful for the opportunity to serve as one of your pastors, uh, even grateful, more grateful uh, that God's called me to be one of his children. And, and in addition to that, uh, I have the privilege of being a husband and a dad and a son and an uncle and brother and all those other things. And so thanks for the gift of time off. It was good for us to have a week to go uh, be with just our immediate family and then with our extended family as well. Uh, so that was a gift. Thankful for it. And I'm ready uh, to preach again and to, to lead and serve. And so thank you for that, that week off. Um, I'm really grateful for Pastor Nick's giftedness. Uh, I think it's good. Uh, in a number of you I know were gone last week, but man, he is, he is just a skilled communicator of the Word of God, uh, coming through a godly man. And, uh, and our students get to be blessed by that uh, week in and week out. And I, I love it that occasionally he gets to also then preach to the rest of the church. And so uh, grateful for him, grateful that he got us back into the book of Hebrews. We were in this before we jumped into a different series for Advent, but we in our church just start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and we work our way through to the end. Uh, and we took on the book of Hebrews, which is a glorious book that is sometimes hard to understand. Uh, and so uh, we're going through it relatively quickly. We're going to finish now by the end of January, I'm thinking. Today we're going to pick up the second half of Hebrews chapter 12. And if we're going to understand this, we need to understand the context, which if you've been here for some time, you, you will recall that the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who had primarily, almost all of them, come over from the Jewish faith, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusted in Him, have joined the church, but persecution is on the rise. And if you're a Christian in that region in the first century, you're going to suffer for it. And as they start to see that, you can understand, humanly speaking, why they might be tempted to say, yeah, maybe I don't need that, and to turn back to their old ways. And so the message of the book of Hebrews is, no, 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 no. Jesus is better. Stick with him. Or Jesus is, in, is better. Endure by faith. Don't turn around. Don't turn back. Stick with Jesus. Hold fast is the word even that Ron read just a little bit ago before he prayed. Here's where we're headed today as we pick it up in chapter 12, verse 18. We have come into the presence of God through Jesus, so we are prepared for the coming judgment as people who gratefully worship our holy God with reverence and awe. Here's just a warning, just up front. Because we just walk through the Bible verse by verse, there are times where we get to a passage, oh, that's harder to understand. We don't skip those parts. Try to help us understand it if possible, right? Or as much as it is possible for us to allow the Spirit of God to work in our minds that we would understand it. But there are also parts, when, because we don't skip parts, that are seemingly intense. And this would be one of those that I think is intense. And so if you're new here today, uh, know that sometimes uh, there, there's calm, lighter, sometimes even funny kinds of passages uh, of Scripture that we would read, and then that would be the tone of the sermon. Today, the tone of the sermon, because there's warning uh, embedded in it, and because it is intense, and because it talks about our God, whose justice, mercy, and holiness are pretty intense, today's sermon might seem a bit intense. We need to hear, though, the Word of God. Uh, a quick, quick note before I read it, because otherwise you're going to hear me start, and you're going to say, what's he talking about? 
the first three or four verses refer back to uh, what the Jewish people would have understood as the way that they could approach God. He's going to refer back to Exodus 19 and 20 where God met with Moses on the mountain and nobody else could even go close to the mountain or even touch it or they would die. Trying to understand how a holy God could interact with unholy people. So that's the context here as we jump in. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God? Let me pray first. Father, uh, we, we do need help. I pray that you would humble us. Humble us before your holiness. That you would give us ears, but also minds and also hearts, that we might hear, understand, believe, and obey your Word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 12, reading to the end of the chapter. God's Word says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. You can be seated. So, inside your bulletin, a sermon notes page, if that's helpful for you, life group guide, uh, if you're in one of our life groups or would like to join one, uh, that's there for, for the deeper application of the word as well. But Hebrews... Remember, being written to people tempted to turn back to their old way of relating to God under the old covenant are going to be encouraged, don't go back there. What we have now in Christ is better than what you had in Exodus. And so, verses 18 to 21, he's just referring back to, I don't have time to read this, but you could just make a note, go back and read this week, Exodus 19 and 20. That's the the time when when God invites Moses to come up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, but only Moses can go up in the presence of God on the mountain. And all those gathered around see the mountain described as it is here in verse 18. 
a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest, sound of a trumpet. There's this intimidating presence because God is a holy God and these unholy people have no business coming into his presence so much so that even any beast that would touch the mountain where God is meeting with Moses would be stoned. It says in verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Unholy people could not be in the presence of a holy God. And there's a contrast at the beginning. Remember, he's trying to convince them, that's not what you want to go back to, is it? You don't want to go back there, do you? Listen to what you have been given now in Christ. And that's what we see starting in verse 22. Notice the contrast language. It begins, but you have come. So verse 18 began with, for you have not come. And then verse 22, but you have come. This is the way that you now approach God. You don't go to Mount Sinai and stand back. You now are invited to Mount Zion, into the presence of God, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Using all this Old Testament language, but but showing that, that you now have this privilege that wasn't given to people before. To innumerable angels in festal gathering. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And here's the most important part. And to God. You. You can come to God. The judge of all. He's not, he's not, not the judge anymore. He's still the judge. But you can come to him. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. How, how can you come to this God? Verse 24. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. Just as Moses was this imperfect mediator between God and holy God and unholy people, Moses himself, one of those unholy people that God allowed into his presence as a mediator for a time, Jesus has come as the better mediator. That was one of the messages that we've seen in the book of Hebrews so far. Jesus is the better mediator. If you want to approach a holy God as a sinful person, we need a mediator, and Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Then he says, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, Cain killed Abel, and the blood of Abel called out for justice, and the blood of Christ calls out for mercy. Jesus is the mediator So the argument in verses 18 to 24, we went through that quickly because that's not an argument I feel like I really need to push hard on you all with because not many of you are tempted to turn back to the the old covenant to to become Jewish people. But the audience needed to hear this message from the author of Hebrews. You have come to God through Jesus in a way that you never could under the old covenant. You have come to God through Jesus the mediator in a way that you never could under the old covenant. So do not go back. Stick with Jesus. Come to God through Jesus the Son. Endure by faith. Stick with Jesus. The the one piece of maybe application for us in this is just a a preview of communion. We're going to take communion later here in the worship service. And, And communion helps us remember because we're people that quickly forget a lot of things. And we forget the most important things. That the way that we can come into the presence of a holy God as sinful people is through Jesus and his shed blood. The new covenant. We even say as we take communion, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
So we'll take communion together after the sermon today. That's just going to be a really concrete way of helping us remember how in the new covenant we come into the presence of God. So, question for the first section of this passage is this, how did we come into the presence of God? And the question for the second section, which we'll spend more time on, is how now should we approach God? How now should we approach God? I mean, if, if God's presence, we can now approach God in a way that we couldn't under the old covenant, now can we just kind of approach God a lot more casually? Let's look. Verse 25 begins with a command and a warning. How now should we approach God? We're going to have three points under this, each of them having some application. Number one is this, we must not reject Jesus. Judgment is coming. Verse 25, see the warning, the command there right at the beginning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And then he's going to refer back to the earlier time again. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. This argument from lesser to greater is going to be, we've seen it throughout the book. Let's look though at verses 26 and 27 that I think will help us understand that better. At that time, so again, referring to a previous time, Moses on Mount Sinai, the people around the mountain, at that time, his voice shook the earth. When the Lord spoke, there was thunder. The earth is shaking because of the holiness of God. In one place, this is happening. But now he has promised, so that's what was then, but now he has promised. Now he quotes an Old Testament prophet who said this, yet once more, God's saying this through an Old Testament prophet, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So referring to this coming time where the holy, righteous judge, God, shakes not only one spot on the face of the earth, but his voice comes from the heavens and all of heaven and earth are shaken, judged. So shaken is the, the, the kind of metaphor used for judgment in this passage. Verse 27, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So the picture of judgment is, is a picture of sorting out by shaking. I only watched one part of one episode one time of a show called Lego Masters. So I don't know if it's, a, if it's like a, a, an enjoyable show to watch. Maybe you've watched it. Maybe you like it. But the, the part of the episode that I watched, what had happened is a bunch of people had made these structures, different teams, made structures uh, with Legos, and then they had this monster fan that came and blew on them. And the result would be that as that fan, the air from the fan went against the Legos, some of the structures would fall while some remained. That's the picture of judgment used here. A a shaking to the point that most fall and some remain. Since sin in the Garden of Eden, we know the world around us is broken. So you hear about judgment and And maybe that makes you a little uneasy, and maybe it should make us a little uneasy. 
But sin is real in our world. Ron reminded us of a number of things even as he spoke and then prayed earlier. We know that sin seeps into every system and every creature. Criminals get away with crime. Innocent lives are taken. Evil dictators get their way. The world is messed up. Men abuse women. Parents abuse their children. And so we think of judgment and, 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 and it makes us a little uneasy at first, but we also need to recognize that it's good that evil doesn't win in the end. It's good that there is a judge. And judgment is coming. And the message here in verses 25 and following are do not refuse him. A time is kept. So, so the message, don't refuse him. Judgment is coming. We must not refuse him. So application is very simple to this point. We must not reject Jesus. Judgment is coming. My goal is not to scare you, but to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth is scary. When Scripture speaks to us about a Savior who is gentle and lowly, then I will speak about the Savior who is gentle and lowly because He is. But Scripture also speaks to us about a God who is holy and who is the judge and gives us warnings, and warnings are given in love. And so you need to hear, we need to hear, all of us, God is not our fairy godmother or divine butler. God is holy. And God is just. God cannot and will not let sin go unpunished. There is a coming day of judgment, and all who have not come to God through faith in Jesus will suffer the just punishment of eternal torment in hell. We need to hear this. So I warn you, don't reject Jesus. Instead, receive Him. Receive the free gift of salvation. Jesus, listen to this good news. Jesus has done what is necessary to save us from the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. He has transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son He loves, is the way it puts it in Colossians. If you've been saved through faith in Jesus, this is what has happened. You do not need to fear death or the coming judgment. Jesus has borne all of our sin and all of the payment for it. He has paid in full. And that takes us to what we see then here in the beginning of verse 28, where it says this, Therefore, okay, in light of this, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's one of the ways, again, the Bible talks about our salvation. Transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We were once apart of a different kingdom, and now, in Christ, we are a part of a new kingdom, made citizens, given a better kingdom, joyfully living under God's good rule and reign. And so the command is, if God's put you there, be grateful. If God has saved you from the judgment that is to come, be grateful. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, well, at least we should do that. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving, and then this, this word, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, something that's going to last. Think about application for us in this. Let's be grateful that we've received an unshakable kingdom. We need to be reminded again and again that there's all sorts of things that all sorts of people put their hope in, and we're often tempted to put our hope in, that will not last. 
They're shakable. Think about our nation. United States of America is a great nation, grateful to be a part of it. But on the coming day of judgment, it will not stand. It is not an eternal kingdom. Our nation and all others are shakable. You think about like the state of our nation, the state of the world. It's not like, oh, I think it keeps getting better and better and more and more stable over time. It doesn't seem that way. Our hope cannot be in our nation. Our hope can't be in the economy. Right? So, so I just, uh, just even like on a, on a personal level, you probably did the same thing, uh, something like it anyway. Around this time of year, I always look at, okay, a year is done. Now we need to budget for a new year. I'm so grateful for the generosity of your giving that a lot. And then just what you pay us. That's where our income comes from, from your giving. Thank you for that. Uh, and, and I'm just get, I get paid like a lump sum. So it's just like, here, you take this, find health insurance, pay taxes, do retirement and stuff. So uh, we have a retirement account. We just think that's, well, here, here's a, what we think is a wise amount to put into that. And this is probably the same case for a lot of you. Like here was our account at the beginning of the year. We put a bunch of money in, and usually when you put something into something, it grows. What happened this year? <laughs> you put money into something, and it shrunk. Like, oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Money, the economy, we have so little control over so many things. And it's a very shakable kind of thing. We're not going to take anything with us anyway. So, so, so our nation, our economy, everything kind of falls into this category of things that are shakable. We cannot put our hope there getting more personal, maybe even our families. Our families are not as rock solid as we'd like to think. Maybe something in your own family has happened recently that reminded you, that made you realize that your family is shakable. And all of this reminds us that our hope is not in any of those things, but ultimately we ought to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In a world where so, much, so many things seem so unstable and shakable, we who are in Christ have received a kingdom that is unshakable. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this. I just want to read it without comment except for maybe one quick comment at the end. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. That's my comment. That's what we're waiting for, right? And then there's the third and final point here in the passage. That's at the end of verse 28 into verse 29. It's this. Our God is a consuming fire and we ought to worship Him with reverence and awe. One more command there, verse 28, began, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then look, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If a holy God had given them an eternal gift that they didn't deserve, how should they respond? 
with worship. A certain kind of worship. It says acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Reverence is like this this healthy respect, awe, like this godly fear. That, That you come before God, not flippantly or casually, but with a reverence and an awe. Looking at a clock, yes. Uh, story time with Jeremy, okay? Um, so, uh, I've read with each of our kids. Uh, Mariah and I are now on the last of them, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I think there's so, so many great illustrations. You know, if you've read the, the series before, C.S. Lewis, the author of them, just fiction, uh, but, but he uses often the lion uh, to be a figure of the Lord, right? And in book six, The Silver Chair, um, the character Jill has been walking through a desert and is in danger of dying of thirst. And she hears a stream. And let me just read to you a bit. But although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as if she had been turned into stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. And then later we're going to hear this. The thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion if only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. And then she hears the lion's voice two times say, If you're thirsty, come and drink. She realized that it was the lion speaking. Anyway, she had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, stronger. A sort of heavy golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in rather a different way. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, asked Jill. And the lion says no. Skip a little portion and come down to this. The lion says to this girl, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. And I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. And I read that to help us just maybe see and feel a little bit of this kind of response. How do you approach a God who is holy when we know who we are? A God who is a consuming fire. I love how Jill doesn't just casually, playfully approach this God, but knowing who the lion in this case is. Knowing something about the lion, she's very hesitant 
approaches very respectfully. Godly fear is what awe means here. So this is how we are to approach the Lord. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's not the only way the Bible talks about how we approach God. But in this passage, it's the way it talks about it. And so we're going to talk about it. How do we approach God with reverence and awe? So, final application point. I think it means that our worship will not or should not be casual. Some churches, desiring to make their worship services seem more accessible to non-believers, will promote their worship services as casual. We will never describe our worship service as casual. Others trying to make it seem attractive will come across as sometimes flippant or irreverent, and I hope not to do that. I never want to sacrifice reverence for relevance. How do we rightly respond to a God who has saved us and given us an undeserved, unshakable kingdom? With gratefulness, with reverence, and with awe. Those attitudes, reverence and awe, that's an attitude of our heart, right? Reverence and awe are an attitude of our heart that we, we ask God, God, help me to see you for who you really are, that I might worship you with reverence and awe. And now the way that that comes out when we're gathered together, right? Reverence and awe can look like different things to different people. So as we worship in song, A heart filled with reverence and awe for some of you might mean that that in celebration and gratefulness, your hands just go up. Great! If that's the way you express reverence and awe in your worship to the God who has saved you, then let your hands go up, regardless of what other people around you are doing. For others of you, it's maybe just hands reached out in a position of receiving of humbleness before God. The way I'm often standing when I sing, the posture I typically have is often hands together right in front of me like a position of of grateful submission. I don't know how you do it. What's not as important is what we're doing externally. It is important because sometimes what we're doing externally kind of feeds what's happening internally. So pay attention to what you're doing, but not as the thing that mostly needs attention. As we worship God in song or in any other way, our attention is on Him, and our hearts ought to be filled with reverence and awe. And so if that looks like this, if that looks like this, if that look, whatever it looks like, we worship the Lord with reverence and awe. It probably doesn't usually look like this or like this. How could we lightly respond to a God who has saved us and given us an undeserved, unshakable kingdom? I don't think we can. Why? Notice the reasoning, verse 29, the last verse here. For our God is a consuming fire. Remember, there's not one God of the Old Testament and one God of the New Testament. There's an Old Covenant way of approaching that God and a New Covenant way of approaching that God, but it's the same God. So he's not wrong to call God here a consuming fire. He is the creator and judge of all things, and we dare not reject him. And we dare not approach him casually. 
we who have come to him through Jesus, come with grateful hearts, offering acceptable worship, as it says here, with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Father, we already sang it, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. You are a consuming fire. We cannot come to you on our own. So we come in the name of your Son, Jesus, our mediator who shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. We could be declared righteous, that we can now enter your presence. Help us to remember how we came to you as we take communion now. And help us to come always before you with grateful hearts, offering to you acceptable worship with reverence and awe. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to take communion.